Welcome to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. During our program, we continue to cover a variety of hot topics in the sports medicine world and more. Today on the six to eight weeks podcast, we're going to talk football. The 49ers are going to the Super Bowl, so we're going to focus on their 2023 season in terms of the injuries that they had and what they overcame to get to the Super Bowl in a rematch of 2020 against the Kansas City Chiefs. When we think of injuries in the NFL, we often think of people as injury prone and others as getting a fluky injury. Well, the former may or may not be true. The data is still out there. The latter is really a fascinating way to play what if. What if Brock Purdy didn't come back ahead of schedule from his elbow repair? What if his injury was severe enough that he had to have a reconstruction instead of a repair? Would we have Trey Lance in the Super Bowl or we have been a nine and eight team and bounced in the first round from the Packers? What if CMC had another year filled with strains and sprains that plagued him when he was at the Carolina Panthers or Could he have overcome his injuries and played through because he's on more of a winning team? What if Debo Samuel's shoulder fracture was more like Deshaun Watson's, causing a surgery and a lost season for the Browns? But there is still a tremendous amount of skill involved, particularly by the medical teams in the NFL, managing in-game and in-season load, knowing how to protect players from concussions, and when to let players play through a little bit of pain. There's even some natural elements involved, meaning that playing on grass, despite what the NFL has said, probably leads to a safer playing environment than turf, a study that we are about to publish in the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine. So join as we review the season, talk about the injuries that the 49ers had and those that they avoided, and fingers crossed for the start of the Brock Purdy dynasty. I think it's already here. Welcome to this week's six to eight weeks podcast. This is a special week because the 49ers are playing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I always think that this week before you get a lot of retrospective questions. So today we're going to go over some of the issues that happened during the season. And the first one really started at the end of last year with Brock Purdy's ulnar collateral ligament or UCL repair. So this happened January 9th, 2023 in the championship game against the Eagles. And for all intents and purposes, it's effectively ended the 49ers season. Drew, if you remember, there was a lot of discussion of when he has the surgery, should it be right away? Should it be delayed? And then what kind of surgery should he have? Can you just go through what the different options are for a UCL reconstruction versus repair and why it's a big deal? Yeah. And just to refresh the UCL, it's the ligament on the inside of the elbow it's really important in throwing. Like as you cock your arm back without it, the elbow is unstable and then you can't throw effectively. It hurts. You don't have velocity. For a throwing athlete like Brock Purdy, you definitely need that structure to be able to play effectively. It's something that this is like the Tommy John surgery in baseball. We've talked about it, I think back in episode 99. Treatment historically was UCL reconstruction And that's where you take another tendon and then you put that in to serve as a new UCL. More recently, there's been this interest in UCL repair and then with like an internal brace or, you know, something to hold that in place as it heals. And that's gained a lot of interest in the past, what, like five, seven years. So there was a lot of debate on, would that be an option for him? Does he need a full reconstruction? And it really impacts the recovery. I think even going back with him, like there was a lot of concern because his initial surgery date was postponed. I don't know if you remember that, like he was set for surgery and then it was like, they can't do it yet. It's too swollen. It's going to be another week or two weeks. And, you know, you start looking at the time available from surgery to do rehab recovery and then to make it back in time for the season. And that window starts to shorten. 
And then the other thing too, is like, if he has a UCL reconstruction, usually that's something where you're looking closer to a year to be back to throwing normally. So if you're having that in March, that's not, you know, any point in the next season. So maybe he, you know, rushes back, he's back towards the end, but certainly not for training camp for the start of the season. So I think that was a huge step for the 49ers season this year to have him be able to have that repair, to be able to have the surgery done, and then for him to have such a great recovery timeline. As much as I don't like to be pessimistic about seasons and how much injuries relate to the outcome, really the whole season hinged on whether or not he was going to come back, hinged kind of a pun because it's an elbow. But then what happened in the training camp? So he start, he came back early. He started actually throwing three months after injury, which is a little bit ahead of schedule. But then that allowed them to trade Trey Lance and really end any speculation of who the starter was. And that probably settles everybody on the team. The idea of we know who the starting quarterback is. We're not waiting till week three or week four, which is what they were originally thinking. So then we get into the training camp. And this was one of the years where I think there weren't a lot of injuries in at least the 49ers training camp. Oftentimes we see peak of especially muscle strains in week one to two. And then they kind of taper off as people get in better and better shape. But the one thing that came up over and over was Christian McCaffrey and his history of being, I don't want to say a fragile player, but a lot of soft tissue injuries. This is his fifth year. In 2020, he only plays three games, but he has a high ankle sprain, AC joint sprain, and then a glute injury. 2021, he plays in seven games due to another high ankle sprain and a hamstring strain. In 2022, he's healthy, plays a full season. But the concern is, how much do you run him? So, Nerev, what do you think about preventing these soft tissue injuries? Is it something that's player-specific, team-specific? Is there something that we could do with load management or should be doing with these, quote-unquote, risky players? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, in the NBA, we talk a lot about load management and whether it's efficacious or not. I think in the NFL, we're seeing more and more data suggests that when players get over a certain snap count, they've been used in kind of high volumes in a couple of games, that there's an increased injury risk. And you look at those seasons in Carolina, a lot of those injury seasons came after, you, I think, over like 450, 500 snaps, like a large amount, and then subsequently his body's breaking down. So I think for an explosive player like McCaffrey, you clearly want to be able to limit some of the load so that by the end of the season, they're not breaking down. Because anyone who's an explosive athlete is cutting, pivoting. Those soft tissues are what protect you, but they also begin to break down. So whether it's McCaffrey, whether it's Debo, you know, whether it's Ayuk, I think you can absolutely kind of look at that load throughout the season to prevent the soft tissue injuries. I think you have to be particularly important, particularly in the early part of the season, because as you mentioned, where we see a lot of ACL injuries, you see the hamstrings, you see the quads happen in those first four weeks of the season, because you basically off season, no matter how much you're training, you can't recreate the explosiveness of training camp and then the contact that you're taking. So I think as athletes go into the season, you're trying to get their body prepared for it rather than just simply breaking down their body and having them have something traumatic happen. So I think the way to limit that is to ease into training camp while at the same time getting their body ready for contact. So I think it's a delicate balance, but I think the NFL hopefully will start looking at that data a little bit more, just like the NBA has, and even baseball has with pitchers, you know, limiting how much pitchers are throwing as well too. So I think it's, 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 it's different per position per player, but particularly for kind of skilled players like McCaffrey who are covering, you know, carrying the ball a lot and doing a lot of explosive activity. It's so nuanced because you look at how these interrelate. So McCaffrey's rushing attempts were kind of on par with what you would expect an elite running back. 22, 20, 18, 20, and 19 for the first five weeks. And 
Purdy's throwing about 27 pass attempts. So typical for a Shanahan offense, pretty well balanced. But then you think back to, think about Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders and LT. They were running 30, 32 times a game. And now you look at contracts for running backs. They're considered much less valuable. Well, part of it is because they're not running as much. They're not doing the lion's share of the <laughs> lion's lost. Another nice pun. Sorry, lions. <laughs> they're not doing all the offense that they used to do. So they are seen as less valuable. And most teams now take two good running backs, almost with the assumption that they're going to break down. And you know, one question that always I have, I have in my mind is, well, what if we only ran them 16 times, but really effectively, would they be just as valuable? And it's hard to know the data there isn't quite as good, but it certainly seems like getting into that sweet spot of somewhere between 15 to 22 carries is going to lead to fewer injuries just because of the exposures and hopefully fewer kind of long-term injuries that hold running backs out the rest of the season. One thing that I think was really nice, if you're a 49er fan, again, sorry, Drew, because the Packers were not looking so good at the start of the season. No, not at all. They started out 5-0. and They looked great. And then they went to Cleveland. And then we learned that either one of two things happened. Brock Purdy can't hold a wet football because he has childlike hands. Or getting multiple injuries in one game is really hard on a team. So if you look at that Cleveland game, CMC gets injured. Dre Greenlaw gets injured. Debo Samuel gets a hairline fracture of his shoulder. And then Trent Williams gets another right ankle sprain, especially because Debo got injured a few times. And he's another player that is often talked about as an at-risk player. What is a hairline fracture, Drew? So a fracture is just a break in the bone. And then um, a hairline fracture would just be like a really small break. And, you know, sometimes when the bone breaks, it shifts. It's very obvious on x-ray because things aren't lined up as they should be. This would be something where everything is still lined up, but there's a crack in the bone. And that can be painful. It can have swelling. It can be hard to use, you know, that arm or leg. For him, it's his shoulder. But And then the other risk, too, is you have a weak spot now. You know, if he has that, like, he might even be able to play through it and just push through the pain. Like, he seems like that type of person. But... Then if he's tackled and falls and now it shifts, now it's like a much bigger problem for him. And now you got to, you know, line it back up and now you're looking at a much longer recovery. So it's small, it's, but it can be like really painful, really hard to function. But even if you can, then, you know, now it can all fall apart. So we typically talk about uh, fractures taking six to eight weeks to heal enough to get back. Why did he, why was he able to get back faster? Is that marvels of medical technology that only are available to professional athletes? Is it Debo is just a better human being and athlete than the rest of us? Or is it smaller fractures can heal a little bit faster? I would think most likely the the last option, just that, you know, it's a small fracture. You have enough healing, pain's better, swelling's better, good motion, good strength, and then just able to, you know, protect it a bit. Now, as, 40, as people who follow the 49ers were relatively aware of high ankle versus low ankle sprains because Jimmy G had a high ankle sprain a few years ago that really kind of changed the entire season. When Trent Williams has four years with low ankle sprains, Nero, does that concern you long term? Are these recurrent injuries something that are just going to pop up every year at this point? Do the ligaments actually get weaker? Or is this something that 
you get it's sort of bad luck and you move on. No, I think there definitely is a, a risk of this continuing to be an issue chronically. I mean, anytime you have an ankle sprain, particularly the low ankle sprains, and you haven't gotten surgery on them, what happens is those ligaments stretch out, they tear, and then they heal back, but they heal back in a stretch position or they heal back with scar tissue. So particularly for an athlete like Trent Williams, who's you know very large, very powerful and playing the tackle position, you're just at high risk of those injuries kind of continuing to pile up on one another. And then you throw in a high ankle sprain, and it's important to understand that even if it's a high ankle sprain, the ankle's a unit. So if you sprain the high ankle, then you can put more you know, sprain on the lower ankle ligaments. So definitely something that will seem to be a recurring issue. But the good news is that these are things that can be rehabbed. You can tape. You can do various modalities so you don't have to get surgery. I think the amount of ankle ligament surgery that's being done now um, is significantly less um, than in the past, just simply because we understand how rehab is going with things you can do. So Absolutely. I think this will be something, unfortunately, he has to deal with just given his size and his kind of his position. But, um, you know, with the right training and, and working on things in the preseason, hopefully those those, you know, injuries that lead to a significant amount of time off can be limited. It is one of those things that probably doesn't bother him enough necessarily to take him out and fix it. But it clearly shows the importance of a gifted left tackle and a future Hall of Famer, because every time he's out, our running game tanks. Thankfully, McCaffrey and Greenlaw come back, and I think these high-impact, high-energy players, when they only have limited practice and these soft tissue injuries, I would say it's probably usually about 50-50 on whether or not they make it back. And I think one of the things that you hear in Reddit or on The Athletic is, are these players tough? By definition, they're tough. And they're playing through pain and injury that the average person is not going to be able to withstand, go to work, let alone go to work and be tackled. But one thing that's come up and has really changed in the NFL and across all the sports is concussions. So week seven happens. We play a what admittedly questionable game against the Vikings. It's on Monday nights. It's a national audience. And Brock Purdy gets a concussion. But it really doesn't look that bad. He's doing a quarterback sneak. It wasn't really picked up by cameras. It wasn't really talked about. But then he stays in the game and throws two relatively quick interceptions. Drew... In your experience, how has the management of concussions changed over the last five to 10 years in the NFL? Can you just describe the new concussion protocols and safety measures? Yeah, it's gotten so much better and there's been so much more attention on it. I think people have realized that it's not a small thing and any kind of head trauma is bad. It's dangerous and needs to be monitored and treated right away and appropriately. And so, you know, there's still, I think, probably like a ways to go. It still happens, but do you think, you know, a lot of improvement. And with the current concussion protocol, like there's an independent neurologist who's at the game. Everybody's kind of watching the players. And basically, like, I think anybody can call out and say, like, hey, you know, number 13 looks like there's something concerning there. Take a look at him. It seems like the threshold to evaluate players is a lot lower. And, you know, that can be a quick one play. You know, like, hey, look a little off. It's like, yeah, I got hit in the stomach. I can't breathe. It's like, okay, fine. Get back out there. Your head's okay. If you want, if you don't want to play, good to go. You know, then you'll see them take the player off and then either the medical tent on the sideline or you'll see them take the player to the locker room. Because uh, with a concussion, you really want to evaluate somebody in a quiet, controlled area to, you know, get a better feel for exactly what's going on. It seems like the threshold to remove a player from the game is a lot lower also, which I think is, you know, best for everyone's health and safety. So you said anybody can call in. So let's say I happen to be watching the Super Bowl. I see something questionable. Can I call in to the NFL hotline and say, hey, number 15 on the Chiefs? You're going to tell them like now? 
Yeah. 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 Pretty sure he has a concussion. I think maybe not even, but for a few weeks, you know, I think on the, you know, the medical team, uh, like there's, you know, spotters, the, the referees could call something in, but uh, maybe a game official. Okay. Bummer. It seems like Mahomes throws his own flags anyway. So I think he's on the (laughs) Brady level of protection. One of the things I think was really lucky for the 49ers is no recurrent concussions. And there was a really nice study that came out last year. They looked at time missed. Time missed when you have one concussion is essentially a game. The average amount of time missed was nine days. But that second concussion goes up about 30%. So it goes up to about 12 to 13 days. And that's really the likelihood of missing one game versus two games. So we get past the Vikings and we get into the bye week. What are your thoughts, Nira, especially as the expert on load management? Is a bye week critical to have? Should we have two? Should we have three? Should we spread out the season? And do you think when the bye week happens gives certain teams a competitive advantage? Absolutely. I think that particularly if you have, you know, bye weeks kind of happening kind of in the first quarter or half of the season where a lot of the soft tissue injuries are starting to kind of add up. I think absolutely it allows time, particularly for things like hamstrings, quads, calves, to get that additional period of time to rest. I mean, you think about an NFL game, you know, players describe it as a, as a car accident. And then by the time you've got 72 hours for your body to recover, then you're going right back into it 72 hours later. And there's just not time for that recovery while you're still trying to stay sharp and, and fresh. So absolutely, I think bye weeks are extremely important to give to uh, players, particularly who are on the injury report or kind of, pro- you know, have that probable listing mm-hmm. to kind of be able to play and, and, and perform well. I think the difficult things becomes is that if you have multiple bye weeks during the season, even though you're getting that soft tissue rest, a lot of professional athletes need that rhythm. They need the same pattern. They need to be kind of going through their recovery, doing their training. And if that gets thrown off multiple times during the season, then you worry about is the body doing something that they're not used to. So yes, there's that ability if you're injured for a bye week to be important, but if you're healthy and things are going well, throwing that off multiple times in the season and that rhythm could be potentially problematic. There's not good data on that, but I agree. It's, it's a delicate balance. You want to keep the rhythm and timing of an NFL season, but you also want to allow players who are injured that opportunity to be healthy and then and perform, particularly for you know for skill positions. Yeah, so we transitioned to the second half of the season, and it really seemed like things started to go better, if not perfectly. And one thing that really seemed to go well was the health of the team. But when you look a little bit closer, the two groups that were called out repeatedly were the defensive backfield and offensive line. When you look at the defensive backfield, Talona Hafunga tore his ACL in week 11, and then having an all pro safety missing, that's kind of when the secondary problem started. And then on the offensive line, I would say our play has been solid, but a little bit inconsistent. But then you look at Aaron Banks missing two games with turf toe, Spencer Buford missing three games with a knee injury. And then our defensive line suffered a little bit with Eric Armstead consistently having both a foot and knee problem and missing a few games. I think where the bye week happens is relatively random, but when you look at group performance, especially when you read what people are saying and what people are talking about on talk shows and through different media sources, they forget that we were missing our strong safety. That means that one of your four best defensive backs is not playing anymore. Of course, there's going to be a little bit of a step off. If a third of your line or 40% of your line is playing injured, you're probably going to have a little bit of a step down in the quality of play there just because you're going to the secondary group. Now, it's interesting. Our producer, Andrew, did an amazing job setting this up, found a nice study that looked at all these other factors in terms of is there predictability on 
whether or not your team is going to make the playoffs. So they looked at, there was a study out of Northwestern that looked at over five NFL seasons, how far a team traveled didn't really seem to make a difference, whether or not they went overseas, which is probably loaded because you're sending the Jaguars. So you're sending a kind of crappy team. I'm not sure that makes that much of a difference if you send them. When the bye week happened, And adding one regular season game was not really associated with increased injury rates. However, amount of players that are on injured reserve did make a difference. So if you were over 11, you are more likely to miss the playoffs. And not surprisingly, the 49ers have had nine players on their injured reserve. And the teams in the top five are more likely to have fewer games missed by starters. So I think all this makes sense. Would this change how you manage players at all during the season with these soft tissue injuries, Nerev? You know, it's so hard. I mean, it's so individualized to who the player is. Are they a leader in the locker room? I mean, I think it's so so many confounding factors. So I think in general that it's more about the player's importance and, and how what they mean to the offense as opposed to kind of globally. So I think it's it's just so individualized. It's hard to to know that. I mean, obviously, if you're star players, if, uh, like a McCaffrey, a Debo, or Brock Purdy gets injured, it doesn't matter if everyone else is healthy. They're so critical to uh, team success. So I think it's hard. But I think in general, if you are a team that is looking for a long playoff Super Bowl run, you do want in the back of your mind, think about how do we preserve these players for week 19, 20, 21, 22, particularly if you've clinched that playoff spot. So that's where I think the consideration comes in. I think in the season, it's so hard. And part of this, unlike say basketball or even baseball, is that the violent nature of it, you can't, you can do all the load manage you want, and then someone comes and hits you, and then it's all for naught. So I think that's that's where football becomes a little bit more tricky. They enter the playoffs, they do pretty well at the back end of the season. They lose to the Ravens. Thankfully, we don't have to play the Ravens, and they lose it kind of a nothing game to the Rams. And we have the honor and pleasure of playing the Green Bay Packers, Drew's favorite team. Yep. And even though it's a close game, we see that the superiority of Brock Purdy over Jordan Love, we see that the Packers probably are doomed into the future. But the big no thing that happened was that Debo injures his left shoulder. So again, another shoulder injury. Is there any concern leading into the Super Bowl, Drew, in terms of whether or not he should be padded, protected? Dear God, should they hold Debo out and protect him for next year? Have they said specifically where the fracture is? Because I think that's the hard part. There are probably some areas where padding might work better, you know, especially if it's like up around the AC joint, something that you're landing on versus like on the humerus or the glenoid. There yeah, they are... really haven't said, but, and nor should they. I don't, I don't want right. him to have any yeah. bullseyes yeah. on him. But it brings up a really good point. You can have a, like location of the fracture is really important. One place that you can get a hairline fracture is your shoulder blade. It's a very, very thin bone but it heals up quickly because it's surrounded by muscle. You can have the same size fracture the way Deshaun Watson did and need surgery because if that isn't fixed right away, that's going to be a career-altering injury because it's in the socket of the shoulder and he will suffer recurrent dislocations and eventually need a much bigger surgery if that's not fixed right away. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes we'll pad up underneath the shoulder pads for AC joint injuries, just so it doesn't hurt. Historically, we've given numbing medicines at the time of surgery that doesn't, it really does mask pain, but in an area where it doesn't um, affect your performance and doesn't affect muscle and muscle function, it's a pretty safe thing to do. 
last injury, and thankfully we're really hitting the Super Bowl with very few injuries. It was a little bit scary because Dre Greenlaw left for a little bit during the NFC Championship game after delivering a hit on the Lions tight end, Sam Laporta. He w- went off holding his arm, and I think you know, for those of us that watched this thought, oh gosh, that could be a shoulder dislocation. It could be a stinger. We had had a stinger earlier in the year with Brock Purdy. Nirav, what is a stinger for those of us that haven't had the privilege of being hit by Dre Greenlaw in a football game? Essentially what a stinger is, is you imagine you've got nerves that are kind of in the shoulder or neck region. And when those either get stretched or they kind of get hit from a direct impact or the neck kind of goes in a, in a certain way, essentially it's like hitting your funny bone. What ends up happening is those nerves get stretched. They basically kind of get irritated. And then players can have various different things kind of manifest. They can have kind of electrical shock pain in their arm. They can't move it. It feels like the arm is quote unquote paralyzed. So it really is kind of a nerve injury that impacts the arm. Typically when athletes are trying to get back to play, what you're looking at is, is that kind of tingling, burning pain gone? Do they have full mobility and do they have full strength? Can they, and can they protect themselves and be effective? So for some players that can be something that takes them out of the game for some other players, suddenly five, 10 minutes later, they're fine. I think the key thing is making sure it's not a concussion. It's not a shoulder dislocation. And there's not any kind of neck injury at all, but that classic kind of like your arms at your side. Oh, your shoulder looks fine. This is probably a stinger. And let's wait for those symptoms to resolve and the nerves to get uh, to get better. All right. Final question. Drew, what's your Super Bowl prediction? I think the 49ers are going to do it. Wow. Um, I think it's their year. They they're strong offensively, defensively. Things are falling in place for them. And I mean, Mahomes is next level and would be hard to bet against him. But I'd take the 49ers. Yeah, that's a very strong position for you to take. Nerev, what about you? What's your prediction? Yeah, I think it'll be a close game, but I think uh, Purdy uh, wins it uh, with a uh, two-minute drill drive, silences all the critics, and then no one can criticize him or Shanahan anymore. I think it'll be the Purdy legacy game. That's very nice. It's nice It's nice to have your legacy after your second season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So once again, thanks, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Actually, Brian is absolutely thinking the 49ers are going to win in a blowout. So I give no <laughs> predictions for this one. <laughs> I was writing on it. Yeah, exactly. much it's, been, it's been a great 49ers season. Hopefully it'll cap off with a 49ers victory uh, Bay Area and for 49ers fans across the country. Um, listen to our podcast, Six to Eight Weeks. Uh, you can check us out on Amazon, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, our website, six to eight weeks podcast.com. And uh, looking forward to uh, doing another podcast with a 49ers victory uh, to talk about. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. What do you think of this topic? Connect with us now. In addition to finding our contact form, you'll also find our social media links in our entire six to eight weeks episode archive. Help us grow our listenership by liking, subscribing, and sharing everywhere. We're eager to hear from you, and we'll be sending you more great thought-provoking content in less than six to eight weeks.